Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. And I'd like to introduce Linda. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Linda is the daughter who Jesus dearly loves. Praise Mm -hmm. God. Thank you very much. Thank you for that lovely music and the lovely introduction. And most of all, thank each and every one of you for coming tonight. Lord, I just pray that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our redeemer and you are our strength. So the purpose of this study tonight is to acknowledge that we all identify with or we get stuck with a particular label or labels. But the truth is, if you want to put up the first slide, Genesis 1.26, every person, everything on this earth has a designer. I'm hoping to help you see that you are each a unique and special design, and there's only one true creator. I want you to read that first part. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So that is how each one of you have been designed. So... Sometimes, though, um, almost everything in this earth now has a label or a barcode. In our current society, we can get very caught up with the labels. So, for example, I have here an authentic coach purse. So you ladies out there might know that this may cost two, three, four hundred dollars If you walk down the streets of New York City in, on some of the side streets, you might find a knockoff for $9.99. But when you look at the workmanship, you can actually tell the difference if it's a knockoff or a real label. So again, like we oftentimes get caught up with a fake label or a real label. So as you can see, there's a picture of a necklace coming up, but there's a story of this man. His name is Dennis. And he worked for this lady, Mrs. Smith. Mrs. Smith was a very, very, very wealthy woman. And Dennis was an extremely hardworking young man. He could do electrical, he could do plumbing, he could do lawn work. And he became her right-hand man for everything. They had a very good relationship. And one day, Dennis was telling Mrs. Smith, you know, I have, uh, my wife and I have been invited to his very, very elegant ball. And she said, oh, that's nice. And so he started telling her more and more about it. And one day, Mrs. Smith said, well, what is your wife going to wear? And she says, well, she she has this beautiful, like, I think it's a blue gown. And he didn't know the name brand or whatever. And she said, oh, that's nice. She goes, well, I have that necklace on my dresser. If your wife would ever like to borrow it, she can. And he at first said, oh, no, no, we we could never borrow that. But when he went home one night, he told his wife about his boss and how she offered to lend a necklace for that night. And she, too, said, oh, no, we can't, we can't. You know, she's very well-to-do. I would not want to borrow anything that belongs to her. Well, the day before the ball, she tried on the gown, and then she said, well, do you think she really meant it, that she would lend me that necklace? Because it would go perfectly with my gown. And he said, well, I can ask her. So we went to work that day, and he said, well, you know, the offer's still up. Could we still borrow this 
necklace. And she says, absolutely, just take it off my dresser, and when you're done with it, return it, it's fine. Have fun. So the next night, his wife gets all dressed up in this beautiful gown, and he puts on the necklace, the necklace up there, um, he puts, she puts on this beautiful necklace, and she just looks stunning. I mean, even her husband's like, wow, babe, you look gorgeous. So they go off to the, they go off to the ball, they meet a lot of VIPs, and they dance the night away, and they have the best time of their lives. So as they're driving home, they're going over what happened in the ball, and she said, oh, and I looked, I really looked so lovely in this dress, and the, the necklace! She, she, the, the necklace wasn't there. So they pulled over to the side of the street. They pulled everything out of the car. She dumped her purse out. They lifted up the seats. They looked everywhere. They picked up the carpets. The necklace was gone. He's like, okay, let's go right back to the ballroom. So they turn around, they head to the ballroom. And by that time, they're cleaning up. The waiters and waitresses are there. And they're like, listen, please, if anyone found this necklace, we'll offer a reward. It, it doesn't belong to us. Please return the necklace. So they started, the waiters and waitresses were very kind, like, we didn't see anything, but we'll help you look. They shook out all the tablecloths, all the napkins, they looked in the men's room, they looked in the women's room, they looked in the fountain. They stayed there till like four in the morning till it closed. They turned it upside down, no necklace. So then they started driving home, and now they're in a different mood. And he said, I, I can't go back, my boss, trust me. I can't go back to Mrs. Smith until I lost it. And, and his wife's like, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is, this is a beautiful necklace. I can't. He said, this is what we're going to do. We're, tomorrow, we're going to go hit every jewelry store in Chicago. They live near Chicago. We're going to hit every jewelry store and see if we can find the same necklace or something similar. I can't go back without a necklace. So they started the next morning. They started going out. They went one, then another, then another. At about the sixth or seventh store, in the window, with, behind two glass locks, they saw the necklace. It looked very similar. He said, I'm going to get that necklace, and hopefully she won't notice. So he went inside, and he told the jeweler, he said, please, can you get that necklace out of the front window? I'd like to buy it. So he pulls, opens the lock, opens the other lock, gets the necklace out, and he said, well, how much is it? And the jeweler said, um, $289,000.33. And he's like, oh. He looked at his wife, he says, we gotta get it. So he said, I'll give you a $5,000 down payment, give me a couple days, I'll figure this out. So he give a down payment, the jeweler holds the necklace, the next day he goes and remortgages his house, and they start calling all their family and friends and say, listen, this is what happened, we borrowed a necklace, it's cost almost 300,000, we've gotta get another necklace to replace it, please help us. Well, everyone knew Dennis and his wife, they were lovely people. They were people of their word. So their family and friends started giving them money, and lo and behold, within a few days, they were able to come up with that. So they went ahead, bought the necklace. He went back to work the next day, and he says, thank you very much for lending me the necklace, and he put it on her dresser. She goes, oh, good. Did you have a good time at the ball? He goes, yeah. So for the next 20 years, both Dennis and his wife worked two or three jobs, nights, weekends, holidays, any overtime they could get. 20 years later, they had it paid off. The day after they paid it off, Dennis was still working. Mrs. Smith is now quite elderly. She was in her bedroom asking for help to put in a light bulb. 
And when he went into her bedroom, he noticed that her safe was open, and inside the safe, he saw the necklace. But over on the dresser, he saw the necklace. He said, Mrs. Smith, he goes, you, you, you've got the necklace in the safe, but it looks like that necklace on the dresser. She goes, oh, the one on the dresser, that's my knockoff necklace. The real one's in the safe. I just lend that one out to my friends. Okay? So they've worked 20 years for a knockoff. What about you? Are you into wearing a fake necklace or working for a fake label? Romans 1.25. You put that scripture up, please. Um, it says, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the, creator, the creature rather than the creator. So a lot of times we get caught up worshiping created things instead of the creator. So let's go back to the necklace. Um, a lot of times we have a lot of fake knockoff labels that we are still wearing to this day. Barb, you want to come up? For the purpose of this study, there's literally thousands of... Oh, what I would call knockoff labels or lies that the enemy tries to throw at us. And for the purposes of the study, I had to narrow it down. So I narrowed it down to maybe the top 11, what I would call knockoff labels that we still wear to this day in, in our current culture. Number one is depressed. A lot of people say, oh, I'm so depressed. I have nobody, I have no hope, no future plans, etc." Number next one is fearful. I'm afraid of the economy. I'm afraid of the dentist. I'm afraid of, you can fill in the blank. The current ICD-10, which is the International Classification of Disease Codes, and if you go to a hospital or a psych unit, whenever they give you a diagnosis, they have to put a code on it. There's now 70,000 listed fears, disorders, phobias, diseases. So if you don't think you have one, you go look in the codes, you might find one for yourself, okay? The next one is anxious. I'm anxious about flying. I'm anxious about dying. I'm anxious about living. I'm anxious about being constipated. You, you hear it all, okay? The next one is addicted. As our brother Pedro shared last week very, very boldly about how he, um, he had some issues with addiction to drugs and then onto pornography. And I thank you very much for being so bold to talk about that because I think some of these are some of the hidden things that even brothers and sisters in Christ, not, you don't necessarily need to bring it up to each other, but bring it to the Lord, because he's the one who's going to heal that, okay? Um, other people talk about addiction again, alcohol, the biggies, drugs, food, sugar, sex, pornography, coffee, sports, fun activities, computer games, music, smoking, gambling. They're just some of the biggies today's culture. Okay, another big one is past failures or things that we thought we failed at in the past. I never made the team. I never made it to the pros. I never got my degree. I never got married. I got married. I never read the Bible. I never traveled. Again, you can fill in your own blanks there, but a lot of people identify with their past failures. So the next one is guilt and shame. A lot of people will say, I'm just too embarrassed to even talk about it. The next one is gossip, or what I put as the sharer of unnecessary news or information. So sometimes when we share information, even though it's not considered quote-unquote bad, it may be truthful, but is it really helpful? 
for example, please pray for Brother Bimbo because he's having issues with his fourth wife. Okay? The next one is grudge holder. And I think, Barbara, I'm going to take that one for a while because I, I used to wear this one quite, quite proudly. I'll give, you, I'll give you the start of my story. Back in around 1977, when I was in high school, I was getting on the school bus, and it was a day kind of like any other day. And, but I couldn't find a seat, an empty seat, so there's a girl named Chris Van Wingerden, and I sat next to her. I did not consider her to be a friend or an enemy, just an acquaintance. And the bus was riding along smoothly until all of a sudden Chris looked at me and she said, hey, Linda. And then she called, hey, Fred. My, last, my maiden name was Frederick. Hey, Fred, I don't want you sitting next to me. Get out. So I looked around. There were no other empty seats. So I just sat there and didn't say anything. I'm like, I'm not going to move. There's no seat to go to, except for one a little farther back where my brother was sitting. And as you know, on a school bus, you don't sit next to your brother when you're in high school, right? So she kept taunting me. Then she got her, her little clique of friends. And all of a sudden, they just took and they shoved me off the seat, fell on the ground, and picked my stuff up. And I went over and sat with my brother because that was the only other seat left, and they had filled it. So then they went on to say, oh, look, it not that cute, Linda sitting next to her brother. Isn't that cute? Why don't you guys hold hands? So that was the beginning. That was the initiation of a grudge that started to well up in my heart. And I'm telling you, it wasn't just a little grudge. I started to kind of fantasize what I would wanted to do to her, what I wanted to say to her. I lived on a farm. I was thinking about those fresh horse patties and where I would want to put them. Okay, that's the truth. It's not nice, but it's the truth, and it will set me free. So there's the story of a, of a grudge holder, and I'll get back to that story in a little bit. Thank you, Barb. So the next one is ugly, defective, or useless. A perfect example of this, and I've seen this in crowds everywhere. If I were right now to take a picture of a group of you and I send it to you on your phone, What's the first thing everyone does if, you, if you're in a group photo and you get it? Almost everybody, they blow it up, they find themselves first, and you start critiquing your body, and then, to make yourself feel better, you might move the picture over to somebody else, say, well, I have two chins, but she's got three, or I've got... So, this is what we do. Again, this is not how God sees us. Uh, one, one pastor once said to me, there are three things that don't lie. Jesus little children, and yoga pants. So when you look at somebody, I know we've all done this, you see somebody, a woman in yoga pants, maybe men look at it a different way, but women are like, look at those cellulitic dimples on her thighs. Wow, I could put a nickel in there, a dime in there, a quarter in there. Man, she could wear a whole change, shirt, change thing right on her thigh. That's, again, that's not how God sees us. That's how, what we do to each other. Okay, the next one is rejected. I think once COVID hit, rejection became a, big, a bigger label that we all took on. All kinds of rejections were happening. People were not talking to family, to friends. There was political strife. I think the enemy just used that as a big way to stir up the stink with rejection. And finally, last but not least, I'm calling this one the National Enquirer. This is the person who doesn't even have to put a label on themselves because other people will put a bunch of false labels out on them, like the National Enquirer does. Another very vivid example of this is, you can, you've seen story after story, people who are convicted of a crime, sometimes they serve 10, 20, 30 years in prison, 
Some of them even get the death sentence, only to find out with DNA evidence years later they were innocent. So that's like the ultimate terrible example of the National Enquirer. But the good news is, so we'll take one more look at all these fake labels. The good news is that God does not want us to get stuck with or keep wearing or even touch these fake labels when we can be putting on designer labels. So let's go with um, label number one. Instead of depressed, and we can use that slide for joy, we have joy. And Nehemiah 8.10, which, well, anyway, that verse says, oh, got up there. Okay. So the joy, you can read the whole verse, but basically the joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay. And also, um, Philippians 4.4, we are to rejoice in the Lord always. So replace that depression with joy. Fearful. Next one is fearful. Instead of fearful, we can be calling ourselves powerful, love, and sound-minded. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. So whenever you're tempted to say, I'm afraid of this or I'm afraid of that, this is the label that God wants you to wear. The next one is anxious. Well, the best to, the best way to cover that one is Philippians 4.6. We should be calm and under no stress. 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So I just want to emphasize that it says to be anxious for nothing, or do not be anxious about anything. So please don't compartmentalize it. Say, well, I'm not anxious about this, but I am anxious about, and you can fill in your blanks. God says nothing. So just try to remember that verse whenever you start feeling yourself to get, getting anxious. So the next one is kind of the biggie, an addicted. And instead of addicted, I'd like you to look at Galatians 5, to 23. So we all know that the fruits of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And I think one of the most underutilized fruit of the Holy Spirit but it's one that we all have in equal abundance, is self-control. Once we have that fruit and we're functioning fully out of the fruit of, of self-control, addiction should become a thing of the past. Amen. So let me give you a couple examples. One time when I was working in the emergency room as a nurse, a woman came in. She was about five foot two, 98 pounds, and she came in saying that she had chest pain. So for those of you who are nurses in the audience, you know you do what's called a chest pain workup. You put an IV in, you draw some blood, you do an EKG, you send them for a chest x-ray, maybe give them a little oxygen, but there's a whole set of things that you have to do. So when I went in there, I started her IV, and I noticed that even just coming in the room, the smell of alcohol was like, wow. So of course we did a blood alcohol level on this lady also. Well, the first thing we did was the doctor was looking at the EKG, and that was relatively normal. She had some things called PVCs, preventricular contractions, and some other irregularities, but nothing that was considered life-threatening. However, as you know, when you're driving and a policeman pulls you over to check for your blood alcohol content, if you are considered driving under the influence, it's a .08 or higher. Well, this woman, her blood alcohol came back at a .5. 
5-3. And I had to take a double take, and I went to the ER doctor. I said, there must be a mistake. He goes, no, no. Uh, people who've been really addicted to alcohol for years can actually walk and talk with a 0.53 blood alcohol. So he proceeded to start the admission process because she wasn't going to be admitted for the chest pain, but he wanted to admit her to try to help her to get detox and stuff. So I went into the room and I started to explain to the patient, okay, we're going to go ahead, you know, your blood alcohol is really high, your heart is doing okay, but, you know, the doctor wants you to try to help you to get detox. And I started going on this and she's like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. She looks up at the monitor and she says, are you telling me my heart is okay? I said, well, yes, the emergency room doctor says that you're not having a heart attack and, and, but your blood alcohol, and she's like, oh, no, 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 no. She ripped out her EKG leads, then she ripped out her IV, she grabbed a tissue to stop the bleeding, and she looked at me and she says, I'm an alcoholic, I love my alcohol, I'm going to die an alcoholic, but I don't want to die of a heart attack. And she took off. Okay? So that's one example. The next one is a little business card. When I work down in South Beach in Miami, there's this group of Christians that get together when there's a big event for the spring breakers and, or when there's a big, huge party. And what they do is they... They call themselves the God Squad. They say, how may I pray for you? And they basically mingle among all of these teenagers and young adults who are stoned and drunk, and they try to pray for them and help them out. Well, I have this one guy that I work with. His name is Mark. And what he would do is he'd start handing him out their, his business card. I said, what are you giving these kids a business card for? And then I read it. It said, please bear with me a little and hear me out. My name is Mark. I suffered for many years from intractable insomnia, and restlessness that drove me to the brink of insanity many a time. After trying several remedies to no avail, I resorted to alcohol and then found myself with three major problems and no solution in sight. As a last resort, I prayed my heart out to the Lord Jesus to help me, and not long after I started praying, the Lord Jesus healed me in a very unexpected and miraculous way of all three. It has been five years since. So... Two examples, two different outcomes, okay? This also reminds me with the fruit of self-control. Uh, when I was taking a class in college on agriculture economics, we were, we were t taught that sometimes when farmers had an abundance, abundance of a crop, they were actually paid by the government to not bring their produce to the market. So I remember seeing a picture once of all these apples piled high, higher than this building. And this particular farmer was being paid to not sell his fruit, let it rot. Same thing with the Galatians, self-control, all these other fruits. They're, they're in abundance for each one of us. Don't let it rot. My brother here was able to overcome alcohol, drugs, porn. He's a walking, talking example of not letting that fruit rot. So thank you for that. So, thank you. Another past, fa the other one is past failures. And next slide, Psalm 103.12. Okay. Instead of calling yourself a past failure, you can now call yourself a clean slate. Psalm 103.12 says, For as 
The heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So I don't know if you've ever talked to a physicist or somebody who does studies on measurements, but how far do you measure the east from the west? It's like an infinity distance. It means you can't, they don't touch. They don't exist. You don't measure this. So as far as the east is from the west, that's how far. In other words, he's erased it. We've got a clean slate. He doesn't remember any of our past failures, our past shame. It's gone. The next one is guilt and shame. Uh, very easy. Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation. Again, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So remember the word is no condemnation. And instead of calling yourself guilty or shame, you're now innocent. Okay? Uh, gossip. Instead of calling yourself a gossip, I'd like you to replace that word with encourager. In Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16 says that we are to have the mind of Christ. So if you have the mind of Christ on, that's like a 24-7 holy filter. And when you use that filter, uh, if what you are about to say, you check with your filter and say, is this going to be anything useful for the kingdom business? If it's not useful for kingdom business, even if it's not anything quote-unquote bad, don't say it. Just use your Holy Spirit filter. As he's, he's blessed you with so many things, we just don't tap into it. Okay? So the next one, grudge holder. I'm going to go back to my story. So 20 years after that incident happened on the school bus, I read this, I had read this verse, but I looked at it again. It was Mark 11.25. And it says, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. So when I read this, I just felt like God was saying, listen, Linda, you need to apologize to that girl. And I'm like, what? And so I had to rewind and explain to God over again what happened that day. And he's like, no, I get that. But you have been holding a grudge in your heart toward one of my creations. So you are wrong. I was like, really? Okay. I said, all right, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He goes, yes, I know you're sorry, but you need to tell her. So my first excuse is, well, I don't know where she lives. I don't, but this is 1977 now. And guess what was invented by then? The internet. So I said, all right, Lord. I got on the computer and said, if I, you know, I'm basically saying, if I don't find anything on her, I'm not sending anything. But sure enough, I typed in her maiden name and I was able to find her new, her married name and her address. So I proceeded to get a little card and I said, Dear Chris, this is Linda Frederick. I don't know if you remember this. And I went on to explain what happened on the school bus. And then I said, you know, I'm really sorry because I've been holding a lot of hatred and grudge in my heart toward you for the last 20 years, and I'm really sorry. I licked it, put the stamp on it, I walked over to the mailbox, I pulled the little flag up and put it in the mailbox. And when I put that card in the mailbox and put the flag up, I felt this whoosh, and this fake necklace that I had been wearing 
For 20 years, I'd been wearing this crappy, fake necklace. It lifted that day just by sending an apology to somebody that I'd been holding a grudge against for the last 20 years. So as a nice ending to that story, she wrote me back a letter a few weeks later, and she said, Dear Linda, this is Chris, and I got your note, and first of all, I'm sorry about everything, and she goes, I don't even remember what you're talking about, that incident on the school bus, which she may not have. But anyway, she accepted my apology, she apologized, and to this day, if I do see her, I don't see her much, but if I do see her, we're not best of friends, but we're cordial, and it had a really nice ending, thanks to, thanks to God. So the next one, yeah. Next one is ugly or defective. Simple one on this one, Psalm 139.14. God doesn't see us at all as ugly or defective. He sees us as beautiful. Psalm 139.14 says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. Also, 1 Samuel 16.7, I don't have the slide, but it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So the next one is rejected. Uh, Jeremiah 31.3, very simple. Again, whenever you feel rejected, you turn to this verse. Jeremiah 31.3 says, And the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you, 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 with an everlasting love. It's not the superficial, conditional love that we find on this earth. It's that everlasting love love that only Jesus can provide. It reminds me of that song, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. It's because that singer and all of us will never find it here on earth with people, places, things, dogs, whatever. It's, it's, it's another type of relationship way above, way above our pay grade. Okay. Amen. All right. And then finally, the National Enquirer. When I was thinking about this verse, I'm like, well, we could say this and this in our, in our defense, but let's look at Mark 15, 4 to 5, and look at what Jesus did. He had spent three years doing ministry and talking about who he was, but then there came a point when he was about ready to be crucified, and they were just ganging up on him, making all kinds of false accusations, and it says here, then Pilate asked him again, saying, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. So the National Enquirer, I'm going to say that it's the power of silence. Sometimes in life, it's better, it's, you speak louder by saying nothing. And then on top of that, Jesus doesn't stop there. Guess what else he tells us to do? In Matthew 5, he says, I say to you, love your enemies. Okay? Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And you're like, well, who could, really, who could ever really do that? Well, Jesus set the perfect example because while he was on the cross, dripping blood, everything, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So if he can do it, we can do it. He set the example. And there are many stories of missionaries and things that have set such great examples of forgiveness. So I would like to ask you, who are you? I want you to fill in your label. Anything that is not how our designer describes us is a knockoff label. And we must ask the Holy Spirit that lives in us to remove every lie and replace it with the truth. When you uh, start to describe yourself, I want you to think about a tire. A tire picture up there? 
a tire, if it's properly inflated, it's going to run smoothly. If it's underinflated or overinflated, it's not going to run smoothly. So when you describe yourself, you need to describe yourself exactly how Jesus describes you. You don't want to overinflate or underinflate yourself. Uh, the f- best example of this, that's why when Barbara introduced me today, she could have said, well, I'm a nurse, or I'm a mother, or I'm a grandmother, a student. But instead, she used exactly what I want her to use, which is say, I'm a daughter who Jesus loves. Because that's really, who, that's really my true identity. Okay? Amen. So, um, Jesus loves you. 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 Jesus loves you.
keep this holy IV on a constant drip. Please, like, don't leave here today like that lady in the ER that just ripped her IV off. And I was thinking today, the word is kind of like an IV, okay? We all have access to the word, and it should be hooked up to us 24-7, right? And then we can adjust the rate of flow of our own IV. Everyone's got control over that. There's some people that may read the word once a year. There's on a real slow drip. Some people once, once a week. Some people once every 10 years. Some people once every hour. It's, you have control over your own drip, but we should all be hooked up to, like I call it, the holy IV, which is the word, and we should keep letting that flow into us freely and abundantly because that's where our life and our hope comes from. Okay? So, ask the Lord to help you to see through the lies. We have very clear instructions to worship the Creator, not the created. And the enemy is always going to try to slap those false labels on you all day and all night. You each have your own designer label. Our Lord Jesus paid the ultimate price for that label. So when you are tempted to wear the fake necklace, I want you to dig deep into scriptures, fight the good fight, run the great race, so that someday when you arrive home, you will enjoy listening to the words that will be said to each one of you. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Okay? Jesus, as we know, is in the business of that agape, that everlasting, unconditional love. So don't settle for the knockoffs. Every day, when you wake up and all day long, please don't forget to thank your creator for his mighty works. And that's each one of you. So if there's anyone here today struggling with removing a knockoff label, then I'd like you to come up after the service, after I dismiss you, and I'll have Barb here and anybody else who's a prayer partner can come on up, and we'd be happy to pray with you if you, if you happen to see a label and say, well, I don't have any idea how to get rid of that label because I identify so much with, and you can fill in the blank, and we can try to help you work through how to get rid of your own knockoffs. Uh, again, please don't leave here today with your OIV ripped out and dripping. God needs each and every one of you to be fully aware of who you are in Christ so that you are never deceived for even a minute. So I'd like to thank you very much for your time and attention, and please remember to remove all fake labels before leaving the building tonight. God bless you, and have a good night. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. so blessed in this house to have so much wisdom. Praise God. That was a great teaching. And it's so true. We have to take off those labels that somebody else has put on us or we've put on ourselves. Amen. So if anyone does need prayer, we have plenty of prayer altar workers that can come up and minister to you. Or if you just want to sit in your seat and have someone come, or even if you just need to talk to somebody. We'll be more than happy to come and minister to you. We just thank you all for coming tonight. I know you were blessed. Amen. And make sure to come back next Sunday because will Pastor Gary be here? We were believing God that he's going to be here. If not, I know 
the Lord has given him someone special to minister on Sunday. So there's always a good word. It comes directly from the throne of God. Amen? So we love you guys. Thanks for coming.